HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today, you've tuned in to the Farm Report, and I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks. And today, we're going to be starting a little bit of a conversation around farming, GMOs, and media transparency. A couple things out there happening in the world that gave me pause this week, and I don't know if many of my regular farm passengers Farm Report listeners know, but we also do daily news content on the main website of the Heritage Radio Network, which is www.heritageradionetwork.org. And I wanted to share a couple of news pieces that we put together this week around this subject. Um, In just a second, we're going to hear a short clip with uh, Jim Gerritsen of Wood Prairie Farm. But just to kind of set the scene, um, we're going to be talking uh, about a recent article that came out in The New Yorker by Michael Spector entitled Seeds of Doubt, um, where he kind of takes to task Vandana Shiva, who's probably best known for her anti-globalization and anti-GE advocacy. And I have to say, Vandana first came on my radar probably back in 2006, 2007. I think someone passed me a copy of um, one of her books, books she co-wrote with uh, Carla Petrini and Jamie Leonette, entitled Manifestos on the Future of Food and and Seed. Um, For a long time, I've really looked to her work as kind of a national perspective on some different ways to think about uh, human rights as they relate to farming and, um, you know, how to think about on a global scale, the GE and the G, the implications of a, a, a farming system that includes GMOs. And so it was with a lot of eagerness that I approached Michael's piece and, and it kicked up a lot of stuff for me. And I, I reached out to some people kind of in our orbit here to think a little bit more about how to think about this piece. We're going to hear from them. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about 
Um, some other stuff that's been happening over at Condé Nast, the New Yorker is a is a publication that is under that subheading of Condé Nast, and lots of lots of going on in the in the world of, of GMOs and media and farming. So stay tuned. Um, we're going to bring you now this sh- short clip from Jim Vandana Shiva, Indian environmentalist and longtime anti-globalization crusader, probably best known for her strong and vocal opposition to GMO and GE technology, was recently profiled in a New Yorker article by Michael Spector, titled Seeds of Doubt. In the piece, Michael calls into question much of Shiva's work. We called Jim Gerritsen of Wood Prairie Farm, an organic seed farm in Bridgewater, Maine. Jim, also a longtime anti-GMO activist, had this to say. No one is perfect. You aren't. I'm not. Bandana, no doubt, is not. But there is a clear pattern from um, industrial ag, from biotech and the chemical companies. And this is a pattern that goes back uh, for many years. Um, one might find the beginning with uh, Dr. Arpad Putstai uh, from uh, Scotland, who questioned genetically engineered potatoes and was immediately castigated by the biotech industry. And then Ignacio Chappella uh, at UC at Berkeley talking about uh, concerns of contamination of the birthplace of um, maize or corn in Mexico being contaminated by genetically engineered crops. And then more recently, Dr. Donald Huber, who questions uh, the use of glyphosate, which is the... 80% of GMO crops are uh, glyphosate, uh, Roundup-ready, um, uh, Roundup-tolerant um, uh, crops. And, and more recently, uh, the Syngenta attack on Dr. Tyrone Hayes, who has conducted studies into the damages caused by their product, the herbicide atrazine. So I think that... Um, Initially, uh, one can only conclude that this is just another episode in an attempt to tear down anyone who dares to question uh, the products that industrial ag and biotech want to uh, push upon uh, the American people. Well, it's pretty scary because, you know, it's coming from the New Yorker. And I think, too, we're seeing from the New York Times, you know, a lot of the pieces by Amy Harmon over the course of the last year in a similar vein. So if, you know, we're looking at these kind of two publications of note and, and of record, um, is this like, it, it just feels like that must be like very in, insidious. I mean, I, I wonder like how, as a normal consumer, when you look to these spaces as trusted media resources, are you suggesting that they're being kind of co-opted by the biotech industry or there's some other back end outside of like that reporter's position or where are things getting confused, do you think? Well, uh, very recently, um, uh, reporter Tom Philput uh, in Mother Jones wrote uh, a really good expose article on uh, the Conti Nash uh, attempt to trick leaders of the good food movement, uh, including people like Michael Pollan uh, and others, to participate in a Monsanto-funded PR campaign that they wouldn't admit that Monsanto was uh, in back of. Um, uh, So it was uh, supposedly a strategic alliance between Monsanto and uh, Condé uh, Nast. I I think there are serious concerns of where we have a free media, uh, short of 
going to the internet, uh, and uh, and even there, one has to do a good job at sorting out uh, truth from fiction. So, so Jim's uh, comments uh, really led me in another direction. Uh, you know, thinking about um, kind of media sources that we can trust. Obviously, one of the names that came to the top of my mind was Tom Philpot. You know, Tom has been a, a regular guest here on the Heritage Radio Network. He's co-founder of Maverick Farms, um, which is the Center for Sustainable Food Education uh, down in North Carolina. And uh, he's done a lot of writing for Grist. He writes for Newsweek, Astronomica, The Guardian, and um, most, re- most recently um, put together an interesting piece in Mother Jones that kind of explored the Condé Nast situation that Jim was alluding to. So we gave Tom a call because um, we wanted to find out from him his response to the the Specter piece, and this is what he had to say. Michael Specter's August 25th article, Seeds of Doubt, published in The New Yorker, has kicked up quite a bit of controversy in the anti-GMO and GMO conversation. We're on the line with Tom Philpot to get his response. Tom, what did you think of Specter's piece? Well, Specter is a, is a writer who um, has been extremely enthusiastic about GMOs for years and extremely dismissive about any concerns. And so, I, you know, I, I went into the piece knowing that. Um, I wrote a review of his book, Denialism, uh, four or five years ago, which I found to be a pretty weak book. Um, it uh, focused on science denialism, but never mentioned climate change denialism, which I think is the kind of number one denialist enterprise of our time. Um, and so I went into it with a, uh, I took it with a grain of salt. And the thing about it is that Vandana Shiva, like a lot of, like a lot of activists, um, isn't, uh, I think she, she sometimes, uh, moves more into sort of passionate advocacy ahead of rigor. She's not always the most rigorous critic. And I think uh, Spectre has been able to seize upon some of her excesses to to drive home, you know, his the assumptions that he went into the piece with, which is that um, GMOs are this important vital technology to to feeding the world. And so, you know, in the end, I didn't really learn much from his piece. I already know what he, uh, you know, I already knew what he thought. Um, it was obvious that he was no fan of Vandana Shiva. And none of the things that he exposed about her, like I do, I think she overstates the farmer suicide problem in India uh, and its connection with um, with Monsanto. I mean, obviously, as Spectre says, it's all about lack of credit, um, lack, lack of access to funds. But one of the reasons why farmers need so much access to funds and credit is that these uh, technologies that they're buying, like fertilizer, insecticides, and yes, even... Uh, GMO seeds are more expensive than, um, than than farming without them, and so they are tied into the system where they need these chemicals and other inputs, and they need credit to get to them. And so I think that there is a broad connection between industrialized farming and the suicides that Shiva overstates, but it you know it doesn't exonerate industrial agriculture as as Specter seems to suggest. 
so as we move forward in this uh, GMO conversation, I, I feel like to the layperson, seeing an article published in The New Yorker gives it a lot of status or credus. And what do you think this has done to kind of stall or move forward the conversation for folks with regards to understanding what's happening um, as it relates to GMOs? Um, I mean, I think that's a very astute comment. I mean, I think the New Yorker is a very prestigious uh, publication, and I think that you know it is very rigorously fact checked. And I think there is there is going to be a portion of people who read that and feel like the debate is closed. That Spectre has the answers, and the Batana Shiva is a charlatan or a you know. A, a phony or something like that. And I think that the reality is a lot more complex than that. So I, I think in, in, in that sense, I think it's unfortunate and it, um, it moves to, sh- to, to shut down debate when, you know, just sort of by prestige and prestige of the publication, when I think there is much, much more debate to be had on this question. And, I mean, how would you compare or contrast this to the work of Amy Harmon through the New York Times? Because I think we're seeing a similar kind of more pro-GMO stance um, coming out of that publication as well. Yeah. Um, Amy Harmon has, uh, you know, I think she also goes in, in the stories with a lot of assumptions that aren't that aren't examined. Um, they also have someone named Stephanie Strom at the Times who, um, who I think writes, uh, with a proper sense of skepticism. I mean, I don't think she has necessarily a dog in the fight, but she doesn't. Um, she doesn't take industry view as um, as sort of gold standard. And you know, like that. You know, one of the things about Harmon, one of her more recent pieces on the situation in uh, in Hawaii, where there's a big movement in Hawaii. On, I think one one of the islands in Hawaii to banish GMOs. And she basically painted the whole movement to banish GMOs in the state as this completely irrational, silly, uh, anti-science movement. And she barely alluded to the fact that in Hawaii, because of its um, geography and because it, you know, basically is sunny around, is a major testing ground for uh, for these GMO companies. And so you get two and three crops a year of, of crops that are. They're testing that are resistant to multiple herbicides. They get these big, you know, these huge fields in in, in Hawaii um, getting rained down on with herbicides. And so a lot of the movement, you know, no doubt there are crazy people in the GMO movement. There are crazy people in the movement in Hawaii to ban to ban GMOs. But they also have, you know, these people are, have a very rational thing they're talking about talking about in their literature, and she basically ignored that and made it seem like they were just these, you know, these kind of crazies to think if you eat GMOs, you're going to get cancer immediately, when that was not the case. Yeah, I guess I feel like that's the thing that makes me feel a little bit nervous about uh, the shift in this direction, is that instead of kind of continuing to have a really substantive debate, we're painting one folks as, like, you know, secure science and another group of people as kind of fringe radicals. And that to me seems like the danger. Um, You know, where should people look aside from hopping on Google and doing a random search and trying to distill it ourselves? You know, do you have recommendations for publications um, or maybe can you direct us to some of your own work that you feel has been, um, 
you, you know, useful in kind of getting a little more nuanced a picture of this issue. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have always, you know, I, I try to give a nuanced picture of my work no matter what, um, and have been doing that. And, you know, I think in, in, you, you can look up my reaction to uh, Amy Harmon's piece on oranges, um, which I think was about a year ago, and I looked really hard into it, talked to scientists, talked to USDA people, and said, hey, this, this might be one case where GMOs might, might, uh, might bring a, a solution, at least for a while. Um, no one thinks it's a permanent solution to this citrus green problem in orange groves. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I try to bring a, nu- a nuance. I, I talk to scientists. One scientist who I think is really, really good on this stuff is uh, Doug Gurdy and Sherman. And Doug now works for, I think, he was a Union of Concerned Scientists, and he recently changed jobs. But if you Google his name, uh, Doug Gurdy and Sherman, he might be at, um, he's either at Environmental Defense Food and Water Watch. I'm not, I'm not sure which. But he, um, he is a molecular biologist, Ph.D., who works at the USDA, when they were uh, greenlighting GMO crops, and he's just got a really nuanced view. He, you know, he'll tell you that no, he doesn't think you're going to talk that if you you eat them. And you know, basically, his view and my view are pretty similar. And that is that if you look at the challenges facing global agriculture and the challenges facing U.S. agriculture as part of that, there are a lot of real problems happening. Um, there is this massive drought in California that looks like it's going to be a long-term thing. Um, there's a problem in the Corn Belt uh, where we're losing topsoil at an alarming rate, losing topsoil way faster than it's being reproduced in the field. Um, there is, you know, generally speaking, we're going to have more drought, more heavy rain events. Um, obviously, as populations are growing. And GMOs, if you look really hard at it, don't really provide interesting solutions to any of these problems. And there are a lot of things that are a lot cheaper. Uh, research is a lot cheaper. Implementation is a lot cheaper, cheaper that have been proven to solve these problems. I read about one of them last year. If you Google my name and uh, the name is David Branch, he's a farmer in Ohio. Um, he is doing things that are, he's a you know, big corn and soy farmer in, in Ohio, fifth generation farmer, not some hippie at all. And he's doing things with cover crops and crop rotations that are saving soil, making it more resilient to uh, heavy rains, making it more resilient to drought. Um, and he's using GMO seeds, but not because of the traits, but because they're the only seeds he can get his hands on that have that the companies, their dominance in the market is so great that if you want to get corn seeds that have the latest genetics, and when I say genetics, I mean conventional genetics that, you know, are the most drought-tolerant, the most um, established, the fastest, and things like that, your only choice is to pay the extra technology fee and buy the GMO seed. But he's not using them for that at all, um, but he's getting fantastic results from doing things that aren't GM that any farmers could do that um, are, you know, really critical to feeding the world going going forward. So I just feel like GMOs are this false distraction from the real thinking we need to do about how to change our farming system. 
Well, Tom, thank you so much, and, and we definitely look forward to connecting with you on this issue. Um, as we, we can continue to look at this question and we know how we're going to feed 9 billion people by, by 2050. And, and thanks for taking some time out to share your response. Sure thing. And, um, and you guys are always welcome to call me or, you know, I'm always happy to be on the Heritage Network. All right. So that was a, a little bit more nuanced view from Tom, who kind of helped uh, illuminate some of the things we should be thinking about as we're approaching this GMO conversation. And with that, we are going to go for a short station break. And when we come back, we'll be continuing this conversation as it relates to GMOs, farming, and media transparency. So hang tight. You are listening to Young Blood by The Hollows. Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So it was kind of funny um, working on these pieces in response to the Spectre article this week and hearing this Condé Nast conversation coming up. um, All of a sudden I realized I've... I'd seen this email. Um, as it turns out, our, our founder, Heritage Foods USA, was in some pretty good company. Um, on August 4th, uh, we received um, an email from Condé Nast Media Group inviting the Heritage Foods team to take part in a video series that focused on topics that centered around food, food chains, and sustainability. Sounds pretty cool, right? I mean, since the company started in 2001, its focus has been on celebrating meat, the righteous kind, from healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. Antibiotics and growth hormones are not part of that system. The environment is respected and fair labor is practiced. That's from their website, www.heritagefoodsusa.com. And Full disclosure, I, I work with them. Not only are they our founder, one of our biggest supporters here at Heritage Radio, but I also spend one day a week, uh, Tuesdays, working as part of their wholesale team. So, you know, this email got forwarded to the group, and, and we were pretty excited. You know, what a great opportunity to share the important work that the company does with the audiences of Bon Appetit, GQ, Details, um, 
Right on. Plus, as the email stated, Moraka of CBS Sunday Morning would be hosting the panel. And uh, he's a pretty cool dude. So what was the problem? Well, as it turns out, the project was being underwritten by Monsanto, the global egg giant best known for its work in pesticides and GMO seed sales. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, Monsanto is totally free to support anyone they want. And here at Heritage Radio, you know, we're all for rigorous discussion around the GMO and GE conversation. Um, I think that's it's, it's super important to have uh, a nuance and, a, and to the extent that it's possible, a balanced conversation in these issues. In fact, you know, our very own Dave Arnold, who hosts a weekly program called Cush- Cooking Issues every noon, uh, every Tuesday at noon, moderated a GMO panel that included Amy Harmone, who I mentioned a couple of times in the first half of the show, who's done a number of um, pieces reporting on the GMO industry. Um, Also on the panel that Dave put together was Kathleen Enright. So she's the executive VP for the Food Agriculture Biotechnology Industry Org. So basically an advocacy organization for the biotech industry. And I have to say, you know, that that panel discussion is definitely available on the Heritage Radio website, so you can definitely look up the MOFAD Roundtable. Really great conversations around the GMO issue, really diverse set of perspectives. And I have to say, you know, Kathleen drove home some pretty compelling cases for the industry, as is her job. I think the problem with this email, the really big problem is that nowhere in the email was it made clear that the project was being underwritten by an organization that, you know, is such a divisive player in the food world. Um, Nowhere did it say, oh, by the way, Condé Nast is working with Monsanto on this cool food project. Um, It wasn't until we called and asked for clarification and asked uh, who was funding and supporting the work that we learned that it was being underwritten by this group. And, you know, we decided it wasn't a great um, decision for the organization. Um, in doing a little bit of research for the show, and after talking to Tom, you know, I came upon this August 7th article that he had put out in Mother Jones, and it turns out that, you know, Heritage Foods was in pretty good company. Others who were asked to participate on this panel and as part of this video series uh, were NYU professor, author of Food Politics, and, you know, frequent HRN guest Marion Nussel. Anna LaPay, who's author of the famous Diet for a Hot Planet, and has been a longtime critic of the agrochemical industry. Um, James McWilliams, who's an author of Just Food, um, What Every Locavore Gets Wrong and How We Can Truly Eat Responsible. Lori Silverbush, producer of A Place on the Table. The list goes on. And apparently Mo Rocca, the celebrity moderator who is mentioned in the initial email, was never even confirmed. So... Here's the thing. Here's this long list of food iconoclasts who saw the same pitch um, and saw it for what it was and said no. But I have to say for a small organization like ours here at Heritage Radio or the folks over at Heritage Foods, the offer of a speaking fee, uh, especially, you know, for a a small group like ours, is, is pretty compelling. And the opportunity to put your message in front of the Condé Nast audience is also pretty exciting. And I'm sure that there's other types of offers like this floating around, probably more than we know. And I have to wonder kind of who's going to be the first to say yes to it, whether they're saying yes because, um, you know, they're cash strapped and they need the money. They, you know, don't read the fine print and realize what they're saying yes to. And then their name and their reputation is co-opted. 
Um, or, you know, maybe they are selling out or compromising some of their uh, underlying principles in lieu of the platform that an organization like Condé Nast presents. Um, I think, you know, the lack of transparency here is a huge bummer. And at Heritage Radio Network, we're really disappointed that, that Condé Nast didn't do a better job of presenting a clear offer. Um, but I have to say, we are definitely proud of our fellow allies in good food for seeing the pitch for what it was and for acting in accordance to their values and beliefs. That's all I got for you today on The Farm Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on this issue. Please you know, give us a tweet at heritage underscore radio or uh, shoot us an email, info at heritageradionetwork.org. And stay tuned in. This program, like all 35 of our weekly shows, is available for free by visiting our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. If you believe in our work, I hope you'll consider becoming a member by clicking that Donate tab and supporting us today. You can also find us on iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. However you listen, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org heritage radio network is a 501c3 non-profit to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening